So I'm going to go right into reading the scripture, Luke 12, uh, verses 13 through 34, as we continue our study of the marvelous teachings of Jesus. <laughs> he did marvelous things, he taught marvelous things, and uh, the more I study it, the more I appreciate anew the power of Jesus' teaching. So let's listen to uh, what he had to say in Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 34. This is God's word. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded abundant harvest. <laughs> he thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, You have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than the birds. Which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wild flowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your hearts on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is God's holy word. All right, uh, so as you look at this passage, what we're dealing with is the fact that we're not sufficient in and of ourselves for the things that we need. We need certain things to survive, many things to thrive. We need these things, and yet we don't have them. And um, if we're going to do things that are bigger, we need tools, we need resources, we need cooperation, we need people. And uh, indeed, it was, it was, there's so many things in our lives that we rely on r- literally thousands and thousands of people to, to have the things that we enjoy. A lot of times we don't think of that, but we're really dependent on a lot of other people. And we can see the big picture in some ways. And yet, we know that we, we don't know how to necessarily bring all these things to us. And we get anxiety and fear because we don't know if we'll be able to get the things that we need. And we're not really in total control of that either. There's many things outside of our control. 
and there's many problems that we could run into that would keep us from enjoyment of things or keep us from the things that we need, including the people that we need in our lives, including the, the provision that we need for our lives, uh, good things that we desire to accomplish and do. We're dependent on so many people and so many factors outside of ourselves, and yet we can kind of see all those things. And we can think about the big picture and see that there's a gap between what we can do and then what we can provide for ourselves. And one thing that this can do to us is fill us with anxiety. The root of anxiety is not, is not necessarily a problem of the human nature. It's not necessarily a sin. It's just the ability, the gap between our ability to provide for ourselves and to care for the things that we love and need and our and the lack of control we have over all the factors that contribute to it. And so it's a question of what we do with that gap that we're dealing with in this passage. What are we going to do with it? And the first option is let, us kill, let it kill us with anxiety. And to let it also respond to that in a way that we seek to just make sure we have everything we need. We, f- we focus on ourselves and even fight uh, against one another and look down on other people and and think simply of ourselves at the expense of others, or even fight wars on a broad scale. All this is born out of this simple fact of human existence that we need so many things, and yet we have so little control over all those factors that contribute to it. Now, there is a a second option, and I'm going to talk about it. But before we talk about the second option to dealing with that gap between the things that we need and the things we have control over... Jesus reorients us to even think differently about the things that we need. And a lot of times our, our anxiety is born of things that, are not, are, that we shouldn't even want in the first place or want to the same degree. And that's what we're going to talk about. So I, I want to look at this passage with three, kind of three themes. First is money, anxiety, and priorities. And then money, then anxiety, then priorities. So I think that uh, probably all of us have an interest in all three of those things. Pretty common issues. And Jesus just gets to the heart of what we deal with on a daily basis. So let's take a look at what he says about money, what he says about anxiety, and then what he says about priorities. So the first thing is money. Now the warning about money begins with a request for Jesus' help in dividing the inheritance. Now can you even imagine... That inheritance would be an issue where brothers would fight against one another. It's almost impossible to conceive, isn't it? No, it's not. It's, it's one of the things, one, probably one of the most common issues of fights amongst families is the issue of inheritance. What happens when someone dies, they leave their stuff, and who's going to get it? And it's amazing to see the people who in other times may have seemed the most gentle and content people all of a sudden get their eyes and hearts on something and then they end up fighting and not speaking to each other for years. It's amazing what happens at that time. And so that's what Jesus is encountering. We don't know the degree to which this was happening, but this was part of it. And so this man comes to Jesus and he says, Hey, Jesus can help me with this. Jesus, tell my brother to divide the inheritance. There's an issue with the inheritance. Now Jesus... Jesus, one of the things that Jesus wants to do is he did not want to be a, seem as a political leader. Uh, he, he, because everyone is looking for him to be a political leader. And that's not because politics is bad. It's not because 
There's not a place for Christians to be involved in politics. Politics is part of life, and Christians are called to engage in all areas of life under God for the glory of his kingdom. But the thing that Jesus was avoiding was any sense that he was going to be just an earthly king who would defeat the Romans. He had a much bigger project in view, the defeat of Satan's sin and death, and he didn't want to distract people from that. That's also why he generally didn't want them to call him the Messiah, because that's what they thought in their mind, even though he was the Messiah, and he said, told his disciples that he was. And so in that light, he says, I'm not going to act as a, a political judge or an arbiter to divide the inheritance. But I will tell you, I am here to teach you about your life. And that's why he says something to them about their life. He says in verse 15, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. What he says is, money and possessions have a way of taking hold of our heart in a way that is totally destructive of our relationships and ourselves and our relationship with God. And he says, we need to be on our guard. You know, it's so often when we, when we see ourselves um, going into maybe sliding towards poverty or not able to pay bills or whatever, that's the time when we start praying, right? You know, we're saying, Lord, help me with this. I don't know how I'm going to make these bills. But Jesus, in a way, is teaching us when you get a raise, when you get new money, that's when you should be praying. Because that is where our soul can take hold of these things in a way that does us serious damage. That's what he means when he says, be on your guard against all kinds of greed and covetousness. Now, the word covetousness, you know, you might recognize it from the 10th commandment, which tells us not to covet. And one of the ways we can covet is we want what other people have for ourselves. But that's probably the less common way. Covetousness also means just wanting anything too much. There's many good things in the world that we can enjoy, but we want them in a way that's too much, in a way that becomes destructive of ourselves, our relationship with God, our relationship with others, and keeps us from the better things. And that's primarily what Jesus has in view. And in order to teach that to them, he teaches them a story about retirement. He wants to teach them about retirement. He says, he says what happened is a man was a farmer, and he had this huge crop. It went way beyond his wildest imagination. And in the agrarian economy, that meant that he had money or resources for many years to come. So he said to himself, you know, what am I going to do? I've got all this stuff and I'm not sure what to do with it. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to tear down my barns and I'm going to build bigger ones so I can store it and then I can just live off it the next few years and I can kind of enjoy life. Now, one thing about this is that that wasn't necessarily wrong in and of itself. We need to say savings is not wrong. Enjoying life is not, is not wrong. Eating and drinking and being merry is not wrong. And so one thing we want to avoid in this story is not saying what Jesus doesn't say. And so, but what does Jesus say? He says, he, he goes on to say, well, here's what happens. This man's got all these plans for retirement. He's got plans for enjoying many years. And then what happens? He dies. His life is required of him. And he wasn't ready. What he says is, this man was not rich towards God. And so the point Jesus is making is not that it's wrong to invest money for the future. Not that it's wrong to start a business. Or wrong to preserve money for a time where we might not be able to work. Whether it's yearly or, 
or uh, in the future. But what he's saying is, he who is not rich toward God has invested poorly. He who is rich toward God has invested wisely. Because life is short and eternity is long. And that is what we have to think about. So often, so much of our thought is oriented simply to this life. And you think about, you know, probably many of us watched football games yesterday. And, and if you watch football games, you inevitably, unless you do the whatever modern, you, you tape it, as we used to say. You tape it or DVR it, and then you fast forward through the commercials. You're going to see a lot of commercials. It's like 15 minutes of play, you know, and three hours and 45 minutes of commercials. And notice the thing about the commercials. How many of them deal with things that you can get in this life? And how many of them deal with preparation for the life to come? Uh, Most of these things. You know, and these things aren't bad. Like, is it bad to get a hamburger? Is it bad to prepare for retirement? Is it bad to plan a vacation? You know, no, there's none of these things are bad in themselves. It's the It's the fact that all of our society is focusing us on the things of this life. All the messages that we see are teaching us to think of this life. But not one of us, not one of us here can claim that we are going to, for for certain, that we are going to even live out this day. And even if we live 50 years, it's short compared to what's coming after when we meet our maker and have to give an account. And that's, the, that's what Jesus is saying. He's really saying, you've calculated wrongly. There's a simple calculation. What really matters is God and eternity. The things of this life matter too, but way below that. So it's, it's a, a proper, we might say, investment strategy. We don't just spend everything on the present. We have to prepare for the future. And the best way to prepare for the future is to be rich towards God. So that's what he says. So he's not saying money is bad. He's not saying possessions are bad. He's not saying success is bad. He's not saying barns are bad. He's not saying any of these things. But he's saying, like, keep it in perspective in light of eternity. It's amazing to me that for myself as well as everybody else, how little we can actually think about this. The fact that that we are going to die. The fact that life is short. And all our energy seems to go into just this short little time. So little into the, into the future. So one theologian said in kind of a funny way, he, sa- he says, think about death one half of one quarter of an hour each day. So anyways, seven, hour, seven minutes and 30 seconds. And he says that will help us gain perspective. That's what Jesus is doing with this parable. So th- one thing, Jesus calls us back to this again and again. And if you read this, the, the Gospels, you'll see he's trying to get us to think about not only this life, but the great importance of the life to come and being prepared to be with our Lord forever and not be shut out from his presence. But then Jesus turns and he makes a a little bit different point, but hitting on the same overall theme and talks about our anxiety. And he talks about our anxiety over possessions, just what I mentioned at the beginning, the fact that we need many things, but yet we're not able to provide for all of them, not in the moment. We don't know what's going to happen in the future. We don't know how that could be disrupted. So many factors outside of our control. And that leads us to have great anxiety over our possessions, over the things that are going to provide for us, and over the good things that we want to enjoy. 
And Jesus gives a surprising command in verse 22. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. So, in the midst of a world filled with worry, Jesus tells us, do not worry. You should not be worrying. Now, it's not saying, it is not saying worry is different from thinking about it and making legitimate plans. I mean, obviously, even to eat the most, the, sometimes the simplest meal requires some level of preparation. But we know what the difference is between worry and planning. Planning is when, we're, when we think through things and we act and we prepare for what we can prepare for and we leave the rest to God. Worry is when we let it run around over and over and over again in our head to the detriment of ourselves, our relationship with God and our relationship with others and the better good that we could attain to. And that is nothing is more common. This world is filled with people who have things running around in their head. That's why we have 100 million plus prescriptions for depression and, and anxiety. All these things, this is a world filled with anxiety. And it's, and it's not, anxiety is not necessarily a, a, a sickness. It's not something, though, it is, has a part of our brain and, and the drugs can help us sometimes get some margin to rethink things. But we need to understand anxiety is rooted in the human condition. Anxiety is rooted in the fact that we have many things that are important to us that we have no or little control over. It's an existential fact that exists. And so the door to anxiety is always open. And if we're going to deal with anxiety for the long term, then we have to deal and reckon with that fact. And we have to find a way to come to grips with it. And that's what Jesus is trying to help with. He doesn't just say, as we'll see, don't, you're worrying? Well, don't do it. Okay, see you later. He's going to explain to us how we readjust our thinking so that anxiety doesn't dominate our lives. So he's going to explain it. He tells us that. And part of it is, and the first thing is to see, as he gives this command, is that life is more than the food we eat and the clothes we wear. That life is also something much bigger. It's about not just the food that we eat and the clothes that we wear, but it's about our relationships with other people. It's about the things that we do and above all about our relationship with God. And so a lot of times, those aren't the things that are occupying our mind, even in the way that they should. And Jesus explains this command to them by giving an illustration from nature. He says to them, look at the birds. He explains this command from the birds, the ravens. And uh, I was, when I was reading uh, or listening to a message about this, not too long ago, uh, I think the, the person probably pointed out Jesus was probably there outside, you know, teaching this. And there probably were birds out there around. And he said, hey, look at the birds. To think about that. And he says, what he says to them is they don't plan. They, birds don't worry. That's part of the human condition. It's not part of the animal condition. And yet God takes care of them in an amazing way. And God provides for them, provides for them food. And what he does is to use, as he does so often, this argument from the lesser to the greater. He says, if God takes care of the birds who are less valuable, how much more will he take care of you who are of much more value? And so it's an argument for the lesser and the greater. So every time you see the birds and you see them out eating in the morning and you see God providing for them food, you can remember, God's also going to provide for you. And indeed, then he, he turns it around and he says, who of, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? So 
And that is definitely true. Worrying will not, will not change you, enable you to live longer. And, uh, but actually, we could say worry could actually reduce your life because it is detrimental to your health as well. And so then he points them not only to the birds, but he also points them to the flowers. And um, I love the, the variety of flowers that we have out here. And, and you can see them at different levels in the wildflowers. And it's, it's amazing to see, and it's a beautiful thing. Love to go to Porter's Creek in the spring and see God's display of, of, of wildflowers. And Jesus probably saw some flowers there, and he's, he's saying, look at them. How, what did they do to make themselves look so beautiful? They didn't labor. They didn't spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon, the greatest king of Israel, in all his splendor, was dressed like one of these. And what he says, if this is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? In other words, God is a God of beauty. He wants to provide for his creation. He wants to adorn it. He's going to do that for you. He's going to give you good things. He's going to clothe you with good things. If God takes care of his creation, he'll take care of his people, his human beings. And he says, the pagan world doesn't get this. The, the world who doesn't know God in the way that they should doesn't get this. And they run after these things. They're always thinking about, what can I eat? What can I, what, how can I be clothed? What's the next thing to buy? And in our society, there's almost endless varieties. It's not just the bare necessities, but where will I go next on vacation? Um, for pastors, what books will I buy next? And we keep filling our house with these things, and it occupies our mind. Or uh, what, is, what recreations are, am I going to be involved in? What's my, what's, my next weekend, what's my next weekend trip? What's the next thing I'm going to do to my house? And so on. All these things, again, not bad in themselves, but they're the sort of things that just kind of tend to take over and distract us from what is more important. That's what Jesus is saying. You can let those things go. Sure, make a plan, stick to it, follow it, do good things. But don't let them dominate you in a way that keeps you from what is ultimately the best, to get focused on the wrong things. And, how, and Jesus explains then the solution to that gap between the things we need and the things we have control over. The, the, op- the second option, the first option is to let the anxiety kill us because we aren't in control, because there's so many issues. There's so many things that can go wrong. The other option is to trust our Heavenly Father that he loves us, that he wants our good, and that he wants to, he will provide for us and take care of us, and that even if he brings us through hard times, he'll use it for our ultimate good and for his glory. That's why he warns them, don't be of little faith. Faith and anxiety battle against one another. Faith is the way. Instead of seeing just our needs and the things we don't have and the problems that we can't control, we, go, we move above the problems. And we see our Heavenly Father who has control of all these things. And we trust in Him. And that enables us to mitigate the anxiety that we feel over all the problems of the world that could do us harm. And we see above it the goodness of our Heavenly Father. That is what Jesus is calling to. That is the solution to the basic human existential problem of anxiety. And once we get that, it leads us to a whole different way of life. When we can say, as long as anxiety fills us, we tend to focus on ourselves 
And there's times that we need to focus on ourselves. I mean, if we have an, an injury or sickness and so on, sometimes we need to care for ourselves. That can be internal, and that can be of the soul. It could be of the body, and there's those times. But as long as, that, as long as we're in that condition, then we have little margin to be able to move out to others and serve. And so what Jesus is saying, like, first get a grip on who your Heavenly Father is and what he'll do for you, and out of that, then that should change our priorities and our way of thinking. And so let me just explain three priorities that he gives us in this, in this passage that flow out of our trust in our Heavenly Father. First is that we should be rich towards God. The first priority that we have is to be rich towards God. And that is the most important. We need to make our relationship with him a priority. As he is the one who is able to bless us, even if the whole world is against us. He is the one who is able to condemn us, even if the whole world is for us. He is the one who is the judge to whom we must give an account. He is the one in whom we find the fulfillment of all our desires. He is the one who is above all. He is the Lord. He is the King. He is the Creator. And nothing matters more than our relationship with God. And so that's the first thing. How is that, how is that doing? What is, the, what is going on with your relationship with God. And so how do we then become rich towards God? Well, we know him, we trust in him, we have a relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ. We praise him, we invest in him, we serve him, we do what we do for his glory. We eat or we drink or we get out and work to his glory. We seek to to care for those around us in his name. We seek to, to develop the potential that he's given us in his service to him. And we keep coming back to him, giving him thanks, seeking him for everything we need. That's how we can be rich towards God. And the person who has riches in such a way is rich indeed. And then secondly, second priority is to seek first the kingdom of God. And so we ask, um, if we think about what is God's priority in this world? What does he want to see happen? Well, he wants to see that the world will be shaped and formed in the way that he made it to be shaped and formed. With him at the center, with us following the way that he's set out for us, and then, with, and then with our relationships with others being set in the way they should, with us engaging in productive labor for his service and for his glory, and us enjoying the good things he's given us. That's what he has created. That's his kingdom. That's what he is building on earth, and that's his priority. And we need to say, and we need to say, you know, what is, how do I fit into that? What is, what is my part in advancing his kingdom and people coming to know the Lord, being restored to him, restored to another, restored to a life of goodness and peace? Not just what is good for me and my little kingdom, but what is good for the kingdom of God. What is his priority? You know, one of the things is, I think I mentioned this before, when I think about this, every time I I, I preach on this re- priority of the kingdom. I think about just in, in Spearfish, where I was before, I remember I had, we had a real good camaraderie of pastors and connections with pastors and other churches. Um, and I didn't, probably didn't even realize how, much, how good it was there until I moved here. And I found it to, the, it to be much harder going to build connections between churches and cooperation and stuff. And it's easy for me just to say, you know, looking at myself, that's hard. 
I'm not going to make that effort to get together with that pastor or to see what that church is doing, you know, and I'll just focus on other things. But when I think about, you know, but when I think about what's the interest of God's kingdom, what's the interest of God's kingdom, a big part of it would be that Christians would work together in spite of their differences, be able to focus on the goals they have in common, to recognize they're part of a common kingdom. And so that may not be what I would choose as a priority, but, it, but I feel like it's God's priority, and so I feel called to make an, a, at least some effort in that regard. That's what, it, that's what it means to say, seek first the kingdom. And, and, um, it's, and one of the things we find, though, is that when we follow God's kingdom, it's not just God's priority, but it's actually good for us. Because it's easy when we just get focused on the little things, our little kingdoms, we lose perspective. When we get involved in something bigger, when we, when we move out from where we are, then we begin to see things in a different light and we come back to where we are with a whole different perspective. It's one reason this coming year we're going to try to do a mission trip. Not because that's the work of the kingdom and you going to work and working well or uh, caring for your families is not the work of the kingdom. But it has a way of helping you see the bigger picture that enables to have a better perspective on what you are doing in the daily life and bring that back in. And we have that opportunity. So we have a new date for the trip to Spain, which is going to be March 13th through the 22nd. And we're going to be actually repairing um, a canal that is going to be used to get water to this camp, which when things dry up, they don't have any water. They have to truck it in in the midst of their busiest camping season. So that's an opportunity that we have. We're going to have other opportunities that we're still working and talking on. That's just one example of the way that we can begin to think, well, how can I get a bigger picture of the kingdom? I know many, it's been great to see um, that when, when God called Marty to say, I'm going to do something bigger and I'm going to go be involved in the disaster response and has affected so many people through that. But it's also been great to see how many people he's brought in from our church to do various things. And talking to someone the other day saying, you know, I'm gonna, I, I've got a little bit of extra time now. I'm going to do that more. And it's beginning to think about that. But it can be in our daily lives, too, to say that instead of just walking, coming home and running into my door, I'm going to talk to my neighbors. I'm going to take an interest in what's going on, how we can make a better community. I'm going to stay a little bit longer at the church, and I'm going to try to talk to people that I haven't talked to before. Things like that. I'm going to make a call to a friend who's in in need. I'm going to, to try and go to work, and even though it's sometimes hard, I'm going to commit myself by the grace of God to show patience even when it gets difficult. That's, bringing, that's thinking about the kingdom of God. And it may mean we have to let go of thinking about things that we might want to do. But you know what God says to us? Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be given to you as well. Now the third priority is to be generous to the poor. It says, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. So if we have our priorities right with God, it's going to lead to different priorities with people. It's going to lead to a level of generosity and giving to to people that we wouldn't have before. And so how does this work itself out? Well, I think it is that, that we should, as Christians, we're not just accepting the love of God. We're also asking, how can I give that love to others? And that may mean money, it may mean time, 
It may, it may mean developing talents so that we can serve people. It may mean stepping into places that we haven't stepped into before in order to serve. But we're always asking, do I really need the things that I have? Can I, can I give a little bit more? Can I think a little bit more about how to serve others? If so, I see someone who needs this or needs my time, can I give it to them instead of just keeping it for myself? And we just let the Lord lead us in that. And if we have a heart that is ready to do that, then the Lord will lead us. He will open up the door and he will make clear where he wants those resources to go. Now that's a hard teaching to say we're going to let go a lot of things we've been thinking about and focus on the priorities of God. So how do we get the strength to be able to do that? How do we get the strength to be able to let go of our anxiety, to let go of of our possessions at times, to let go of the things that we're thinking about and focus on what God has called us to do. Well, God, God doesn't say, if you do this, then, then you'll just have a miserable life, but that's okay because you're serving me. No, he says, do this, make me a priority, and you're going to be blessed beyond imagination. Here's what he says. Verse 32. You're afraid this morning? You, you hear what I've said, and you're like, man, I don't know if I can do that. Do not be afraid, little flock. That's what Jesus is saying. Do not be afraid, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. He's giving you it all. All things are yours. And he's going to continue to bless you. It doesn't mean you're going to get every single thing you desire. It doesn't mean you're going to have riches in this world, but he's going to take care of you. He's going to bless you. Not just a little bit, but a lot, with lots of good things that are going to satisfy your soul and, and take care of you and help you and enable you to serve more and more. That's the kingdom of God at work in your life. You don't have to fear that if you give, then then God won't take care of you. If you move outside yourself. He says, if you seek first the kingdom, all these things will be added to you as well. He says to them that when we give to others, we're providing a treasure in heaven that will not be destroyed and that will enjoy to all eternity. I remember this week about um, hearing the story about a man who gave away 90% of his income. And, uh, and so I wanted to say, that just made me think about this. It's like, what would, I always thought, well, what would that look like? And uh, so I, I found out, yeah, it is a man named R.G. Letourneau. And, and he actually wrote an autobiography that you can read. And, and he has a story about his life. But he was a businessman. He invented the bulldozer. And he, he in, invented innumerable things for moving dirt. And, and, and his inventions were in many ways what helped us win World War II in America, help America win World War II, because it involved moving a lot of dirt. And some of these things can do like the work of what a thousand men did in World War I. His machines did that work in World War II. Also, his machines were that what helped build the interstate system that we enjoy. And if you don't enjoy it, then I challenge you to travel through many of the countries of the world. And you will say, man, we got a great highway system. This is amazing. And so a big part of that is the machines that R.G. Letourneau invented. But he was a believer, and he gave his money to the Lord. And he didn't start out giving 90%. But what he did is he gave a percentage of his income. It's just a way of saying that I'm going to trust the Lord that he'll provide for me. And what he did is, as time went on, he just kept giving, he kept increasing the percentage 
to the point where at his death he gave 90% away. Now granted, his income was probably a lot larger than a lot of us. So I'm not necessarily saying that we should all be giving 90% of our income away. You know, we have to follow what the Lord, what the Lord is, is, is leading us to do. And one of the ways that we can do this, one practical way we, we can put this in practice is we give back a percentage to the Lord. And that may be giving to the church. It may be giving to another ministry. It may be giving to the poor. But we say, like, I'm going to start at this level. Maybe it's even like 1% or 2%. Maybe it's 10%. Maybe it's more. But to continue to challenge ourselves to say, what happens if I give to the, Lord of the, the work of the Lord? Can I see that he'll give back and continue to provide for me? And that's what R.G. Letourneau found. And that's what I've found in my life. Is that I've always surprised, I can't say, I'm definitely not giving 90, anywhere near 90% away of my income. But I have seen like over and again when I've given, when the Lord has called me to give, to see, be surprised how the Lord provides for me in ways that I wouldn't even expect. And I'm sure many of you can tell those same stories. If you follow the Lord and you've given, you've seen those stories. And those who, who have done so have found that to be true. And so that's what the Lord says. Seek first the kingdom. All these things will be given to you as well. So that's my challenge to you to think about how could I demonstrate my faith by giving a percentage of what I have or maybe increasing that percentage and giving it to, in another way. And I just c- conclude then with uh, this statement from R.G. Letourneau. As he, said, as he said that, basically he said that he found out um, he, that he, he said he, he decided that he's going to keep using his d- dirt analogy He said, I shovel out more and more money for the work of the kingdom of God. And he says, and God shovels it back, but God has a bigger shovel. (laughs) Amen.